Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to the 248th edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Nashville, Tennessee, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. And a shovel pass across the Harpeth River from me here in the Music City, it's our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton. What's up, guys? Uh, glad to be here. Excited to be here. That was a uh, that was quite the snooze fest in the national championship game, but I'm sure we'll get into it here in a minute. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit, but quite frankly, I mean, it was not a very fun game to watch. And a man who watched more of it than I thought he would, uh, our third amigo in the second city, also a man who was an anti-anti-communist, it's our <laughs> intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook. Yeah, so for all of our fans out there, um, I fell asleep before the game, watching some of the pregame hype, and just passed out on the sofa, exhausted from work. I wake up, and it was like early stage of the first quarter. It's like, all right, well, I'll watch a little bit. You know, then I'm making dinner and having it on in the background and stuff like that, and by about halftime, I was like, yeah, all right, the, the writing's on the wall. And I, was, I didn't watch any of the second half, I don't recall. I, I might have caught bits of it in the text thread, but I was not actively watching it very much. But I did watch a lot more than I thought I would. So I guess kudos to me. Yeah, kudos to you. Uh, but you weirdest, know, when, Weirdest brag ever, I think. When Slade Bolden is catching touchdowns, uh, you know it's time to turn the game off. So. Yeah, not only not only catching touchdowns, but like beating somebody to the pylon. Yeah, it was a uh, unique viewing experience. So before we hop into our limited uh, bowl game, or I should say title game recap, we want to remind you guys that we here at Illegal Motion are brought to you by betonline.ag. Uh, the NFL playoffs are in their second weekend coming up. My beloved Buffalo Bills have made the divisional round for the first time since 1995. Despite I, the despite the refs doing their best to to help the Colts. Yeah, that was definitely a fumble. I'm sorry. Which I'm not sorry. I'm not, I'm not sorry at all. Um, hey, zebras, do better. Uh, and with that, the Super Bowl is right around the corner. So if you're interested in uh, putting a little action down on uh, on Josh Allen, the new king of Buffalo, or uh, anyone else who's left in the playoffs uh, uh, to make the, make the game, win the game, well, your spot to do that is betonline.ag. Go over there and lock it in. I don't bet on my teams. I cannot bet on my teams because I am beyond irrational about it but if you're looking for a good you know if you're looking for a good value head uh, over in the nfc we know that the packers are favored but it would not surprise me at all if uh if if tampa brady and the uh and the buccaneers coach were able to uh to make to make the super bowl i would not mind a bills buccaneers super bowl whatsoever so is it third time a charm for for uh, for Tampa Bay against the Saints because they the Saints seem to have their number for some reason. Uh, maybe I don't know. I don't. I I, I think that you know they called this. Um, I I saw a great line of this. I think it was uh, Mina Kimes, who is my favorite NFL writer. Uh, she referred to this game this weekend as the the Senior Bowl, not like the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama, but the Senior Bowl of uh, Drew Brees and. Uh, Tom Brady, senior quarterbacks, could be in retirement homes, um, but, but which I thought was just uh, absolutely perfect for this game. But if we're looking for uh, a little bit of future action here uh, on this one, you know, to make the Super Bowl um, as of yet, um, we could see uh, a bunch of different things happening. Uh, our favorites to win the Super Bowl are still the Chiefs. Uh, the long shots are the Rams and the Browns. Josh, you're not the biggest NFL guy. Do you like, uh, you know, who do you like going to the Super Bowl at this point? 
Ooh. Going to the Super Bowl, I, that's not where I thought this question was going to head. Where'd you think it was going to head? I was going to ask, uh, I thought you were going to ask who I was going to take this weekend oh, yeah. against cool. that spread on that uh, Bet Online AG has for us. Yeah, well, who do, well, well, okay, yeah, let, let's go through the games this weekend. I like that <laughs> even <Great>. more. Googly <laughs> moogly. Well, I mean, feel free to laugh and, and scream and yell at me and tell me that I'm the biggest idiot in the world and I'll concede. I don't watch the NFL at all, but little thing caught my eye. Chiefs are favored by 10 right now. Yes, they are against they've, those brownies. They've covered that larger margin exactly four times this year and none since October 5th. They're in what I like to call a bit of a funk. Now, they probably will win because they're the better team and a better complete team. But they're coming into this one limping a little bit. Um, you know, they lost the Chargers. Obviously, they were resting a bunch of people that didn't care. But before that, three points to the Falcons, three points to the Saints, six points to the Dolphins, six points to the Broncos, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So... I, I think that is a chance to make some money, potentially. But, again, disclaimer, I don't watch the NFL. Well, on uh, top of that, you know. I can, only say, I can only say what I would do if I was at the book right now or, or putting some money on Bet AG. That, that's what I would be doing. Yeah, and on, on top of that, Kansas City does not exactly have the best run defense in, in the league, and the Browns rushing offense is one of the best so you know if the if, if i think it's going to be a closer game than people think just because the browns are going to hold the ball a lot and do their best to keep patrick mahomes off the field and maybe they'll have stefanski back from COVID, and they should get their best offensive lineman joel batonio back from COVID as well so no matter uh, uh, what team you're interested in what yeah. was that josh i was just going to say i was going to answer your original question about yeah, who i have going to the super bowl so um it's a long, long-standing tradition. My dad's birthday is January 19th. And most years, the Packers make his birthday absolutely miserable. So they'll find a way to lose to the Rams and Jared Goff at home. And then yep. uh, I think your Bills, Matt. I really think the Bills make the playoff, make the Super Bowl. I, they remind me um, of we've sub, we've seen some teams that are, quote, like, too young and dumb to know about like the journey and they're just out there balling are you talking about the uh, big 10 network program of the journey i am (laughs) so there's so there's something about this bills team that i like and i mean why not them why not their year listen i'm 100 percent here for it yeah and then over on the other side i I know the Chiefs have been skating by and they've had some narrow games, but it's a basketball adage. Who has the best player on the court? Well, Patrick Mahomes, when he's on, he's by far the best player in the NFL. So I think we're going to get an interesting one. Chiefs-Bills. Chiefs-Bills for the AFC title. That'll be fun. Uh, oh. I mean, the, the, the Packers are are, oh. are are the favorites over in the NFC. We know that. But yeah. like I said, I like Tampa, I like Tampa Bay right now. But yeah. no matter who your squad is, from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else online. Plus, there's always the online casino as well. It never closes. So head on over to betonline.ag today to take advantage of all those great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag. To sign up today, bet online. Your online sportsbook experts, coach. We know jo- we know Josh uh, watched a little bit more of the game. We expected him <laughs> to. Uh, mm-hmm. You and I watched uh, pretty much the whole game. Um, I can't say I'm glad I watched the whole game because that was one of the worst title games I can I can remember. I couldn't. I can't say that I watched the. Okay, it game. was it, on in my house. It was on while I was scrolling. 
It, it's uh, been the worst title game since last year, which was the worst title game since the year before. <laughs> this was the, the, this was worse than last year. This was worse than last year. This was worse than the year before. Um, it you just know. it it seemed like Ohio State. I mean, it, it, it was glaringly obvious that Iowa State. I was about to say Hawaii. Uh, that Iowa State. Ohio State. I can't <laughs> talk tonight. Jeez, Louise. Uh, they uh, they clearly got up only uh, for for the Clemson game. Like that was their that was their revenge game, and that was like once they won that game, that was their season. They they didn't care what happened after that, but they had nothing left in the tank. They, despite everyone's best efforts to say and give them credit and put all the attention on them, hey, it's gonna be close. They're gonna like they might win. They you know, and Alabama said no, nah. nah. And and we're gonna we're gonna beat the hell out of you, uh, without playing Devonte Smith in the second half, who probably if he played in the second half might have had over three hundred yards receiving. Well, I was one of the people that said I thought it was gonna be close, and I thought Ohio State had a real possibility. I, I mean, I drank the Kool Aid too yeah. about well, it being close at least. Well, here's you know, Alabama did nothing new; they played the way we expected them to. What Ohio State did not do, they could not take advantage of Bama's biggest weakness, which is their secondary and their pass defense. They only had 194 passing yards at an awful 5.9 yards per pass. Justin Fields had a dud. It's that simple. And defensively, I don't know what in the world the Buckeyes were doing, but... They had about a million linebackers out on the field, it seemed like, for every play. And on at least one of them, a linebacker was tasked with covering Devontae Smith. And that ended in a touchdown. That never works. It was the most asinine defensive game plan Ohio State could have ever drawn up. And so uh, thanks for the heads up, Ohio State, that you were going to – Come in with arguably the worst game plan possible for what Alabama throws at you. Well, on top of that, you know, Sean Wade, their you know, their standout corner for the Buckeyes, came and saying, Oh, he was gonna, you know, man up, he was gonna body Devonta Smith, and then he just got repeatedly burned. And yeah. it was just it was just ugly, man. It was just ugly. And I you know, I don't honestly I don't want to spend much time talking about this game. <laughs> it was not enjoyable, it was not fun. Like here are the things that I quote unquote learned from the game: Devonta Smith, good at football; Nick Saban, good football coach; uh, Alabama has good players at every single position; uh, Patrick Sertan, really good defensive back; um, you know, a, a, offensive schemes, pretty strong; Najee Harris, super versatile. Like I knew all of these things already. I didn't need to be. I didn't need to be reminded of that. I want to take. Well, I think. I think one alarming thing, if you're the CFP committee, is, you know, these games have gotten so bad. The last we haven't had a good title game since Georgia, Alabama. I know, but you know, people are checking out. Attendance for this was under (laughs) fifteen (laughs) thousand. Um, I want to talk about that though. Interesting statistic, Coach. There, Since the advent of the CF- CFP, this was the seventh season of the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. So there have been 21 games played. 21 games played. All right. 18 of those 21 games have been won by either Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State. Yeah. And... Like, what does that say? Like... The only other schools that have won, even won one game are LSU, Georgia, and Oregon. So I'm sorry, yeah. seven, 17 of the 21, 17 of the 21. LSU won two games last year. Georgia won one game in the 2017 season. Oregon won one game in the 2014 season. Yeah, it's – I mean, it, there's no parity in college football because of the, the playoff because nobody else can – recruit as good as Alabama and Clemson because those are the only two teams that make it. And uh, the only way to remedy that and to get more teams to be 
to get or to get more parity is to expand the playoff field. I mean that it's just the only, I mean it's glaringly obvious because most of these games suck. They rarely have I left a national championship game going. My goodness. Uh I think the two uh the two Clemson Alabama games uh were really good. The one where Alabama uh yeah, the one where Alabama won uh the when first the, time against Clemson and then the one where Clemson uh won on the last play of the game with Deshaun Watson. Yeah, the fifteen the the twenty fifteen season and twenty sixteen season. But when they yeah. met again two years later, two years ago, Clemson, Clemson beat them forty four sixteen. Like yeah, that wasn't even out. close. Yeah, they, what, they blew the great crap the out of them in Trevor Lawrence's freshman season. Yeah. I mean it wasn't it it, it was ugly. Um and then the only other good game obviously was Georgia Alabama because it came down to overtime. Uh, and you know, despite uh, despite Georgia yeah. losing, I still so basically we had we had three years in a row of good competitive games. We yeah. were we're three for seven in in competitive games in the title game. Yeah, and and that's not okay. I mean, I no, it's I, and, not. And your bowl games are getting significantly worse. Mm-hmm. Also, um, surrounding the the CFP, so something's got there's got to be some major overhaul in the system. <sighs> So that you can get better quality postseason matchups, and the only way to do that is expand the field to sixteen and say to hell with everybody else. If you don't make the field to sixteen, I'm sorry, your season's over. Good, better luck next year. So that's which essentially gives fifteen total bowl games, right? Eight in the first round, which four is in the all season. you need. I mean, how? I mean, really, how much money are you making from the the Cure dot com bowl? The uh... What, the, the the bad boy motors Gasparilla Bowl. I, I think the, I think I have the right sponsor with the right uh, with the right bowl game. Isn't Who, really who's what you know what like local Shreveport Bar and Grills sponsoring the Independence Bowl. Like come on now, like like Who, there's high school there's high school all star games that do better than that bowl. But high school all star um, games there's high school regular season games that do better. Well, all star games are typically, uh, unless you're dealing with Under Armour game, are, are typically poorly attended. True. Um, but uh, you know, and I think they should. I think they should expand and, and have a playoff field for G five too. And so, I, I think you'll see. I think you'll see a lot more uh, G five schools become nationally prominent if you have a playoff for them. Now, I mean, look what it's done for for SCS. They've expanded to twenty four teams. Now, you know, FCS used to be like Jacksonville State what, or App State when they were FCS or like Georgia it was Southern. like a, Georgia Southern. It was like a one or two or maybe even three. It's North Dakota uh, State, Georgia Southern, like, yeah. Yeah, it was like the same three programs were just kind of like dominating every, you know. Then once they extended the field, now you're getting teams like UC Davis, Eastern Washington, James Madison, uh, Austin P came, you know, came strong. Kennesaw State is has built uh, quite the program because, you know, you extend the field and give more spots, you know, and 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 just save me the everybody gets a trophy mentality. You no, know, you know, you're just making college football a better sport overall by letting more people in. Josh, well, I think the the. Uh, Argument against expanding is, well, you know, what's Alabama going to do against Ball State in that opening round game? And it's like, well, okay, there might be some clunkers, but here's here's why you expand it. I'm going to read off a few things. Do you guys remember when uh, Michigan under Beeline had that really fun team of Mo Wagner and Duncan Robinson and they... Made the final four. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You guys, you guys remember that? You guys remember when uh, Sister Jean in Loyola, Chicago, put together that crazy final four run? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You guys, you guys remember when UMBC upset Virginia, the first ever 16 seed to beat the one? Yeah, a couple years ago. Yeah. Remember when George ago. Mason made their run? Yeah. Butler? The, the, the Butler's ex- a national power now? <laughs> the three so, examples I gave Butler's you are... Big, Butler's a Big East team now. <laughs> The three examples I gave you all came from the same tournament. You guys remember who won that tournament and what the final score was? I have Villanova, I think. Right? Did they Which win that tournament? season? 
what, 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 so I'm, I'm trying to think. So that was, oh, you said, you said it was UMBC, that was Michigan, and that was, so that would have been the 2018 tournament, I think. That was the year before Virginia. Because right? I think, did Virginia come back and Because Virginia won year? in 2019, so that would have been the 2018 tournament. So that would have been Villanova. So, so you, this thought experiment kind of proved my point, right? We remember the fun upsets. We remember the Cinderella runs. Villanova beat Michigan in the title game by 17 in a total unwatchable game. But no one remembers that. They look back on it and go, oh, man, that was the year UMBC won. That was the year Loyola won. Mm -hmm. If we have a 16-team tournament and Cincinnati gets hot and makes it to the Final Four, everyone's going to remember, oh, that was the year Cincinnati went on that crazy run. Remember that? Yeah, oh, that, that, was crazy. That, that was the year that it was Cincinnati versus Clemson in the title game. Yeah, that was the year that that was the year that Boise State got to take on Georgia in the Final Four. Yeah, I mean, people still talk about Boise State, Oklahoma, in the I Fiesta mean, the like, Statue of Liberty play. One of the great. I mean, that was one of that was one of the great football games. Period. That was one of the great college football games of all time. Because of everything that it stood for, because of the just creative play calling, the, you know, multiple overtimes, the fact that after he scored the winning touchdown, he went and, you know, the running back went and proposed to his girlfriend who was the cheerleader. Like it had everything that is like great about college football. And it was it was them knocking off a big like a big boy. It was knocking off big game Bob. Mm hmm. Which, you know, yeah. yeah. And the other thing, too, I mean, you know, I, I alluded to this. And then poor Hawaii a year later. <laughs> <laughs> Just got smoked in the Sugar Bowl. I was there. I mean, I alluded to this, too, a couple shows ago. But one of the things about Ohio State and... Alabama and Clemson and LSU and they really play almost the same style of football which is we're bigger stronger faster than you we're just going to get our players out in space that's what they do and yes it's it's entertaining it's a good brand of football but all four of them are doing the exact same thing when you throw in Alabama having a week to prepare for, say, something crazy like a triple option team, that's how you get these weird upsets. Mm -hmm. And we're not going to get any weird upsets in this playoff format. And if that's what the powers that be want, great. Then you're getting exactly what you want. But it's an unwatchable product. And But of course it's what the powers that be want, because the powers that be the powers that are there right now are the Alabamas and Clemsons and Ohio States of the world. And they want to lose their grip on power. But that's the school and conference perspective. ESPN is the one televising this. They're mm -hmm. and the but they are so e deep in bed with those conferences. They are so know, deep but, in bed with the SEC and the ACC. Not but the remember, remember, much. The, I mean, first, remember Fox, the first remember the first two remember the first two years they thought it would take the country by storm and they put the games on freaking New Year's New Year's Eve. Eve. That was and so no one, stupid. And no one, no one watched, watched them. Yep. Yeah. Eventually. You keep getting games like this with the same rotation of five schools or six schools. You're going to get people to turn off. And I mean, like, I'm a diehard college football fan. I watch sun up to sundown every Saturday as much football as humanly possible. And I take time out of my schedule to do a podcast on college football. And it's an achievement for me to watch Half of the game. Yeah. Because it's not compelling. It's not compelling. It's not <clears throat> interesting. I like 
the fact that you know the three of us who are three of the biggest college football fans that you are going to find people who just love the game of college football like like you basically fell asleep coach and i like had it on in the background i was not paying attention in the second half like i didn't care like it was it was not only was it a blowout i i don't i don't like okay yeah nick saban is great alabama is like they are excellent but i just like i i can't like if that game had been you know even if it was I don't know. I don't want to say like Cincinnati. I keep going back to the Cincinnati well, but like Cincinnati versus Alabama. Even if it was a blowout, I still would have been tuned in through the fourth quarter. I mean, there's another problem too, and this is not related to the teams playing, but ESPN hypes this up to be the Super Bowl. And so they jam it filled with ads, and the commercial oh. breaks are a oh little my bit. Oh, God. The commercial breaks are a little bit longer, but the advertisers know it's not the Super Bowl. So there's no like fresh ads. There's no interesting ads. There's nothing like that. There's no halftime spectacular. But ESPN's treating it that way. And so the game gets elongated. I was reading the second quarter took 67 minutes. That's unacceptable. Uh, Yeah. That's unacceptable. I don't, and I don't need to see the same progressive ads the same geico ads the same like pandering like chevy truck ads that i'm seeing over and over and over again like i i I think i was texting you guys about uh, uh, about one of the ads i forget which one it was it just i it it made me want to punch someone i forget (laughs) exactly which one it was but um i don't know coach like how do you feel about all of this I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you guys. I mean, I think it's something that um, it, it, it was it's built to be something that it's not. You know, it's it's one of those games that you're just like you like roll your eyes because we all know what's going to happen. But then. God, my it's I, I couldn't like it bored me. Like in the pregame coverage, I'm like, God, they're they're like. Oh, I didn't even bother so, with the pregame coverage. Like they're they trying were, so hard. They're and trying I, so hard. Let's see. I'm I'm trying to look for your text too. Oh, here it is. Well, I thought I said that. Uh, every time I hear the Wendy's ad, where the announcer says Wendy's didn't start the chicken wars, they just ended them. I can't help but think of the restaurant wars from Demolition Man, and that was the most interesting and amusing part. That was the most amusing thing that happened to me during the national title game was me coming up with a quip about Demolition Man because the product on the field was that bad. <laughs> I won uh, I won national championship bingo. Did you? Yeah. Good Pretty job. Um, so, I don't know. I, I, I want to move on and talk about the season as a whole. Josh, was it worth it? Um, was it worth everything? All the hurdles that we jumped through, all of the games that were canceled and postponed, all of the student athletes who got COVID. Not saying they wouldn't have any other, you know, otherwise, but everything that occurred to allow college football to be played in this bastardized form. Um, I'm tempted to say, no, it wasn't worth it. Um, but there's a few things that I think did ultimately make it worthwhile. Okay. The, the first is with so few bowls played um, and so many teams opting out that... The kids got to go home for the holidays. And so they got the best of both worlds of packing in a season and then not having to go play in the Gasparilla Bowl. Mm -hmm. So I think that ultimately was nice because let's be honest, the the football players would have either been e-learning from campus or e-learning from home. And 
yes, the NCAA gave them an extra year of eligibility, but, you know, how many seniors are going to take advantage of that if they got their degree and they're not going to the NFL? Like, Gar- so I think Jared was- Garantano is going to yeah. Washington State to play his <laughs> 19th year of eligibility. So, you know, I think it was, I think that ultimately was success. Um, seeing the joy on the face of the kids at like Ball State when they won the conference for the first time since 96, San Jose State winning the conference from God, I don't know when, probably the 1980s or something. Um, yeah. So having these downtrodden programs that uh, both schools actually had some momentum from last year being able to build on that and have a breakthrough season. I think that was worth it. Um, This is going to sound really weird, but uh, it was a huge season for Iowa where they were last summer and basically have the program devolving (laughs) Um, to have the team rally, to have, um, you know, Ference changed how he dominated captains and stuff, and he added a panel of former players of color to speak to the program and speak to him. And there was some genuine effort of reconciliation. I think a part of that process was getting into football games together and being able to reconcile also on the field. So I, I think there were some successes. So in the grand scheme of things, no, it didn't need to be played, but I'm going to surprise everyone and be an optimist and, and take the glass half full approach and say that there were enough small successes that I think it worked out. So for all the cluster blanks, I'm not even going to make you edit this one, Matt. Um, <laughs> for all the cluster blanks that were caused by COVID testing, Daily, daily, daily. And I'm sure that these these kids that their seasons are complete are thrilled that they don't have to have something shoved up their nose now every day. Um, and well, they might for- be shoving other things <clears throat> up their nose, but they don't get True. tested for that. True. Um, and for all the disjointed practices and all the time that was missed and all the kid and all the players who got COVID. Um, Thankfully, we got through this season. There was no major catastrophes. There was no uh, lives lost. There was no hospitalizations. There was not, you know, there were some games that were disrupted. Uh, there were some teams that were, you know, just on a whole no- on a whole new level of frustration uh, with uh, with the whole thing. But uh, I think if you look at the grand scheme of things, we had the first wide receiver to win a Heisman since Desmond Howard. Devontae Smith, one of the most electrifying players uh, to, to come through college football in quite some time. Um, you saw, you know, and I know everybody's tired of seeing Alabama win a national championship, but uh, what Saban has accomplished there is is truly amazing, even though I wish I would, well, I wish I could see somebody else win it. But, um, you, know, you, you know, Josh, you, you, you hit the nail on the head with Iowa. What happened in that situation? They had that. You talk about it. You talk about a bounce back team right there. I mean, God Almighty! I thought that team was going to be completely blown up and disbanded. Uh, I think in like June when all that crap came out um, about all that uh, abuse and racism and all that stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what happened, uh, but whatever happened was great. Uh, then you had, you know, you had. Notre Dame finally joined the conference. Hallelujah, at least at least for a year. Um, and I, I think, you know, with with Justin Fields, um, you know, you saw joy on his face uh, when when he got a chance to get out there and play. I think these kids wanted to play. I think these kids, it gave them a purpose. Um, and in a year that not much hope or not much purpose. Uh, what what was to be found i mean everything got flipped and turned upside down and uh and so for these kids it brought back some sort of normalcy which is what everybody's been craving since march 
And so for that, I think it was worth it. You know, and, and there's a million other factors that make it worth it. Um, and I think they far outweigh the factors that make it not worth it to me. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm glad they were able to get through the season. I'm glad that we we didn't hear any stories about players getting COVID and, and being, you know, major hospitalized, hospitalized and, and dying. Um, even uh, even old Nick Saban got it uh, at 69 years old and he came out just fine, uh, which was which is good. So no major disasters there. And, and honestly, uh, to, to, to sum it up, it just it brought a sense of purpose. It brought a sense of normalcy. And, and I think at least for a minute, the volatile world that we live in took a break and enjoyed some football, not only college, but the NFL as well. And that that kind of relieved some of the pressure, at least briefly or temporarily, on what was a tumultuous, tumultuous year at best. Yeah, Coach, one one of your points had another thing jogging in my head, too, which is, I mean, freshmen are 18 years old. Yeah. And this is still part of their socio-emotional <clears throat> development. And it's like, oh yeah, I mean, Coach and I work with high school kids. E-learning is... Such it's a terrible. drain. It's terrible. Like Not these be, kids yeah. that like, and I've been e-learning more than, more than you have uh, even because we haven't been in person not once. And it is completely sucked the life out of, out of the kids at, at our school. I mean, there, there's like no motivation. Um, you know, the, the, there's very few that are, you know, you can tell the ones that are intrinsically motivated. Um, they're doing okay. But for the most part, like morale's at an all-time low, teachers and students. Um, so to have some sort of normalcy is just great. Yeah, I mean, I think that that sense of normalcy was probably the biggest, I don't want to say like distraction, but it just, it helps so much with the you know, trying to get back to daily life. And I think that, that that's probably going to be the biggest takeaway for me from this season. And so, you know, the last thing I sort of wanted to, I, I think we had sort of planned to talk about today was our biggest surprises or most pleasant surprises, I should say, and our biggest disappointments for this season. And I think we can look in, the, in, in a lot of different ways. I mean, disappointment could be play on the field. And, you know, for me, obviously, like, taking out my Wisconsin Badgers fandom and my, my, my disappointment that Wisconsin lost three consecutive games and was completely out of the hunt to even be in the uh, the bastardized version of the Big Ten title game. The, I guess part, part of my, my, part of my disappointment was the lack of leadership from the NCAA and the lack of standardization across conferences for testing protocols, for amount of games played, and for all of that because... It became if, every conference for themselves. Exactly. And which is... I don't want to get too political, but which is also what we've seen in the country where it's every state for themselves, right? And so yeah. you have this weird coalition of... You know, oh, the SEC and the ACC are going to play pretty close to full schedules, but the Big Ten's going to play like seven games, and the Pac-12 is going to play six games, and the Mac's going to play four and three quarters games, and the Mountain West is going to actually play eight games, but no one's going to know when they start, and two of those games are going to be played on Tuesday night at uh at 8:48 you know west coast time there my my biggest disappointment from this season was the irresponsible the the lack of leadership i should say <laughs> from Mark Emmert and the NCAA because college football and to a lesser extent the NCAA basketball men's basketball term but college football is the economic engine that makes collegiate sports run. Most athletic departments 
their entire budget comes from the ability to have a college and NCAA football program that generates revenue. And the fact that it was completely just left up to the conferences and sometimes even to the schools themselves was disappointing. And so for me, that is my single biggest disappointment in the season. Uh, Josh, what would you say your biggest disappointment on the year is? Mine's going to be solely selfish, but Iowa choked their first two games. They were better than Purdue. They were better than Northwestern. and They blew both of them thanks to ineptitude by the coaching staff. Um, they should have been undefeated this year going into the Big Ten title game. We saw Northwestern hang with Ohio State. We saw Ohio State get obliterated by Alabama. I would have loved to seen Ohio State with 20 linebackers on the field and Amir Smith-Marset do his best Devontae Smith impression. I think Iowa had more than a puncher's chance in that game. I think they would have, you know, you play that game 10 times, I think they beat Ohio State three or four times. So, I, you know, I feel like Iowa for sure blew a division title and a very real possibility of a conference title. And uh just sucks because... Looking at Iowa's schedule in the upcoming seasons, it gets a lot harder. Um, you know, this was a, a good time with their crossover opponents, and then obviously with the modified COVID schedule, it was a very advantageous schedule, and um, they didn't get the job done those first two weeks. Coach, how about you? Well, to piggyback on your point first, Matt, um, because you know I, I'm greatly disappointed in how. Um, how the how the conferences handled this um and it seemed like uh every conference for themselves and when you get when you put decisions in the hands of more than <clears throat> one or two people then you're going to get a kind of everybody for themselves type mentality like hey i'm going to look out for me and mine and i don't think the big 10 and pac 12 handled this whole thing very well at all. I was disappointed in how how they went about and how they left their conferences kind of high and dry because, you know, where I think, you know, do I think the SEC and ACC started too soon? Maybe. But I think what they did was they left themselves wiggle room. Now, I thought the SEC handled it the best. I think they started late enough to be able to see – how the ACC was 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 navigating, and I think they gave themselves enough free open weeks to be able to complete their ten game conference only schedule. Um, so I think they kind of had the best of both worlds. Uh, I, I think the Big Ten acted too fast in saying, "Okay, we're out," and they didn't even leave any sort of opportunity where you know the SEC is like, "Okay, we're going to continue to monitor this ACC. We're going to continue to monitor this Big Twelve. We're going to continue to monitor this Pac twelve." Nope, we're done. Big Ten, nope, we're done. And didn't give themselves a chance to, to monitor the situation, to put together protocols, to put together, you know, to, to let some of their executives do their jobs. Like the, like uh, Greg Sankey let his, let his guys, let his employees do their jobs and come up with a plan to execute the season. The ACC let their people come up with the plan. Let the ADs come up with a plan to execute the season. Big 12 did the same. And they had, I felt like they had as successful of a season as you can have in a a crazy pandemic season, crazy pandemic year. So uh, that I'm disappointed. And I think there should be, I'm hoping it sparks change. I doubt it will. Uh, But there needs to be a central voice within college football. I I think there needs to be a commissioner. you know, I, I don't know that it'll ever happen. I think it might be just a pipe dream, probably is, but uh, it needs to happen. Probably won't ever happen in my lifetime, but you know, just just need to spot that out. Now, well, as far well, as don't, like, well, don't forget too. I mean, the Big Ten's litany of things they did dumb this year is a mile long, but don't forget they're the conference that had very clear rules about qualifying for the title game that. Okay, yeah, Ohio State was the best team, and they did beat Indiana head-to-head. However, 
<laughs> they had if rules you, until it affected Ohio State. Yeah. If which ev- to me is spineless. Yeah. If everyone signs onto those rules, I can guarantee you, Matt and I, we know how the Big Ten works. Uh-huh. They're not. Be- they're not bending that rule for anyone but Ohio State. Nope. May, uh, maybe Michigan. Maybe Michigan. <laughs> That's funny. You think Michigan's making the big? No, game. they're not. But I'm saying, <laughs> were they in, were they in place to do so? Michigan, yes. Michigan would get, I think, that same benefit of the doubt. But that's it. it it's it's Ohio State, and Michigan. If it was, I mean, if it had been Northwestern, if it had been Minnesota, if it had been Purdue, if it had been Michigan State, if it had been Rutgers, that ain't happening. Yeah. <laughs> Rutgers. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, in the Pac-12 was even worse. It was even more of a disaster. Pac-12 was a joke. It was a disaster. But they did have a brunch game, which was kind of cool. Uh, that was fun. Pac-12, that was Pac-12 really fun. At brunch. Uh, wake up with the Pac-12. Um, that that was kind of fun. But um, you know, disappointments though, uh, in a, in a Georgia sense. I don't know what what happened behind the scenes with JT Daniels. I, I wish we could have found out what he could have done against Florida, but losing to Florida uh, was a huge disappointment, especially seeing that Florida uh, lost three in a row to end the season. Um, and uh, they just got flat out embarrassed. Um, and, uh, you know, Georgia's defense was, was a disappointment. And uh, pleasant surprise, Ole Miss. Uh, under Lane Kiffin, uh, Arkansas, uh, Missouri, the way they finished out the year, um, you know, being a team that was written off and, and pitiful, um, you know, a, a, a pleasant surprise was North Carolina uh, under Mac Brown. You know, he still got it. Pleasant surprise, Iowa State becoming an actual mainstay contender in the Big 12 now under Matt Campbell. And Matt Campbell actually saying no thanks to the NFL. And, uh, you know, another pleasant surprise, Indiana, Tom Allen, which not really much of a surprise if, if you really if you really study Tom Allen. But the quickness at which it happened is, is probably the more surprising part. Yeah. I, you know, Josh, and I didn't get to our pleasant surprises. Uh, Indiana was definitely going to be one of mine. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, like you said, it may, may not be a surprise to people who've listened to this show because we we've been on the Indiana bandwagon for a couple of years now. We we've loved Tom Allen for a while now, but you know, uh, piggybacking off of that, Coastal Carolina, San Jose State, some great yeah. stories. Josh touched on those earlier, out of the yeah. year. Yeah, Josh touched on those earlier for sure. Just I I think Group of Five football in general. Uh, you know, Louisiana had a really nice run at the beginning of the season. They beat Ohio, they beat Iowa State. They beat that Iowa State team you talked about. Yeah. And we saw Billy Napier and Dem Boys uh, from Bayou go out and do some do some really nice things on the football field. BYU. BYU had an awesome season. BYU had the mentality you want from a football team. We will play anyone, anytime, anywhere. And... Yes, they lost that epic game to Coastal, but that game against Coastal, that BYU Coastal Carolina game, that might be my game of the season. That might have been. That game was nuts, man. That was, and both teams had like a day and a half of prep. Like, hey, you know what? That, hey, you Wednesday. Need... Hey, you guys. You guys play anybody? No. You guys nah. play anybody? No. Nah. You want to play? Sure. We'll come yeah. to your place. Cool. Yeah, we, yeah right. we we were gonna play Liberty, um, and they got freezest. And they can't play anymore. So we're going to play. And you know what? And, and to me, that was, I, I, you know what? I'm going to go with that particular game being my biggest pleasant surprise or highlight of the, of the year. JT Be- Daniels was a pleasant surprise because, you know, we, we had written him off from, uh, from the real USC. But just the ability for that game to happen and for it to be such a good game and for yeah. college game day to, to go at you know go to coastal to have the spotlight fixed firmly on the chanticleers and you know one of the youngest fbs programs and a perfect perfect timing of dustin johnson winning the winning the masters too oh yeah i mean it could not have been better and you know and and so we did have those moments josh that 
were that you know really did kind of make it all make it all worth it they did and and that gets to um rutgers won a game yeah they won more than one game they won like three or four games this year yeah uh that that gets to my biggest surprise and um it's iowa state um you know obviously i've got a little bit more context having grown up in iowa but um this is a program that it's under 500 for its program history they haven't won a conference title since 1912 they are they're one of the bridesmaidiest program possible and we could see matt campbell turning things around and we're like well they're a lot better under him they're better coached um He's finding, yeah, they're diamonds in the rough, but once they get there, he's finding much better athletes than we've seen in a while at Iowa State. And it's just like, it's like, when will it be put together? When will they have that breakthrough season? And yeah, they they came up just a little bit short in the Big 12 title game, but they beat Oklahoma and Texas in the same season for the first time in school history. And they won a major bowl game for the first time in school history, one of those, like, New Year's Six-type games. And just to kind of put Matt Campbell in context, he's got a 556 winning percentage. The At coaches, Iowa State. Yeah. That's absurd. Yeah. The coaches who are above him, we got Charles Miser. I mean, who can forget the 1915 to 1919 run that he had? Some guy by the name of Glenn Pop Warner in 1895 to 1899. Clyde Williams, 1907 to 1912. Um, Coach, one of your favorites. I know you talk about him a lot back in 1892, Iris C. Brown line. Yeah, his, I mean, uh, that was my favorite memory. I mean, that was the first <laughs> football game I ever went to. <laughs> um, as, my, as the elder statesman yeah. on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, my guy, I, you know I love when someone just goes by their first initials. How can you not like A.W. Ristine, 1902 to 1906? And the last but not least, football. yeah, last but not least, 1894. He's one one season. Their all-time winning is coach. Coached one season. It went five and one. Bert German. So, mm. so Matt Campbell is doing stuff the most recent of those coaches was the guy from 1919 he's doing stuff that hasn't been done there in a century if you're wondering like where, where's like a, some modern coaches a little bit behind him earl bruce in the 70s went 36 and 32 they went to a tangerine bowl i believe not to be confused with Russell. robert the bruce of yeah. uh, scottish nobility yeah someone's probably wondering like what's their winningest coach at he means that. Well, Dan McCarney, he's their winningest coach. 12 seasons, 56 wins, 85 losses. That's their winningest coach. Yep. So, I mean, it's really impressive. They finally had that breakthrough season. When um, your program history prior uh, or post-1920 is Seneca Wallace, and that's yeah. pretty much it. Yeah. And it's saying something. Yeah, and I mean Campbell turned down turned down the NFL. I think it's going to be hard to get him out there out of Iowa State because good. Because I don't want him to leave. Yeah. I don't well, want him seemed, to leave. He seems like someone who wants to build stuff up. He seems like he's really building things and I don't think people realize this but Iowa State's athletic director and their athletic director entire office has done a really good job of fundraising over the last like 10 years, uh, maybe even longer. And as of 2018, 2019, I, I haven't found his most recent contract stuff, but um, at least in that 18, 19 season, he had three and a half million reasons to stay in Ames. Uh -huh. This is, is n yeah, this is not like, you know, this is not the coach making $750,000 at a school that can't afford him and in comes 
insert blue blood here that's just going to be like, well, we're a bigger program and we're going to offer you more money. He's going to need a huge payday to get out of there. And that's going to be tough because the conference is winnable. Well, he was about to get one from the Jets, and he said, yeah. no, thank you. Yeah. Well, and, 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 to, and, and to be honest with you, Matt Campbell doesn't seem like a guy who cares all that much about that quote-unquote prestige because I think it would mean more to him to be able to take the Iowa State program and make them a national program. He could be, I'm going to be Homer here for a second, he can be Iowa State's Barry Alvarez. Don't. <laughs> Yeah. Wrong Homer. Um, <laughs> but we'll he, he he really could, though, right? I mean, yeah. if he decides to stay, if he, if he decides to stay and really take charge, I mean, he, he's already taking charge, but really just be in, be the guy for that program for 15, 20 years, you could see Iowa State turning into, you know, a turning into what Nebraska was in the 70s and 80s to being Iowa State could be that for the 2020s and 2030s I think what what Iowa State needs for their next step um, they've already shown that they can compete with the big boys and and win on the national stage what they need now in the next level for recruiting is they need one or two guys to pop in the NFL Um Mm-hmm. The, the dude that got drafted by the Cardinals, Hakeem Butler, I think is his name. Well, D- David Montgomery did okay for the Bears. In his he's okay, season. yeah. He, and he's he, okay. He, he, he's serviceable, but they need somebody like pop, like really like pop, like come onto the scene. And they need more than just David Montgomery. They need like, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to put all this pressure on Brees Hall, but I, I, I think Brees Hall need, needs to do well in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, because like uh, right now, like what you're looking at is like. They've got David Montgomery. They've got Alan, Laz- Alan Lazard yeah. on, and, and, the, and he, on the on the and Packers. He's actually improving. He's he's the number two. Which you know, my Bills, my beloved beloved Bills, AJ Klein, who's you know second string outs, who is second string linebacker. You know, but no one who's a star. No one who is a I don't even say household. No one who's a Pro Bowler. No one who is you know. David Montgomery, yeah, if you're a fantasy football player, you know who David Montgomery is because he gets the most touches. But, you know. He's not a star. He's, he's not a, a good star. Player. And so I, I definitely feel what you're saying, even if it's not someone in the NFL, someone who's getting who's getting Heisman hype, right? What took Wisconsin, I'm going to go back to Wisconsin. What took Wisconsin from, oh, they were a great story in 93 when they made the Rose Bowl. Ron Dane. Ron Dane was able to, as a collegiate football star everyone knew who rondane was because he was you know breaking records and was a 260 pound wrecking ball if they have a player who is able to break through into the national conscience in that way they can be a program that has sustained success over a long term Mm -hmm. and I, i think that's what would make ames iowa somewhat attractive like hey I can go to Ames, compete in the Big 12, and compete for Big 12 title games, and get to the NFL. Yeah, and also like also for Matt Campbell, Josh, he's you know assuming he sticks around there, he's never have to buy a meal in the state of Iowa for the rest of his life. <laughs> no, um, yeah, not that not just, that he couldn't afford it yeah. because let's face it, like he's I think he's probably the highest paid. Does he make more than Kirk Ferentz? Is this oh, I don't, know. I don't know if God makes more money than Kirk Ferentz. Um, well, in, in that case, he's the second highest paid public employee, state employee in the state of Iowa. Um, Are you talking about God or Nick Saban? <laughs> um, I think for a while, Kirk made more than, than Saban. Um, Gold. G-A-W-D. Gold. Well, I know we're going to do a whole coaches roundup, but since we have been talking about Campbell and the Big 12 a little bit, uh, what's what are your spider sense uh, gut feelings about Sark? I'll take this one. Um, I I think he's uh, I think he's reformed. I I don't know how well he'll do at a program like Texas. Um, the only program we know he does well in this twelve step program. <laughs> Jesus! Oh man, <laughs> that's so bad. 
That is so bad. No, I, I mean, I'm, I'm rooting for him. Um, he was great as a coordinator. Um, and we're about to find out if that's where he's going to top out at because um, I think this is his last chance as a head coach. This is his uh, people. Like, this is his third Power Five gig. This is his third stop as a head coach. Man, three, three like, strikes you out. Uh, yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm. I don't know. I mean, the, I guess. I guess the the Saban finishing school for coaches has proven he? effective. Like we've seen what happened to Lane Kiffin. He got his career rehab from doing that. But I don't know. We, we I, know. I don't know. Hey, listen, listen. We know that he he has a great football mind. He's always had a great football mind. X's and O's mind. We we know that. We knew that when he was at USC. We knew that when he was calling plays wherever he's been. Um, and even with the Falcons, we, we learned that uh, he was actually not the issue and he was kind of scapegoated there. But um, things he picked up probably along the way, things he learned along the way about being a CEO, we'll, we will see how much he has retained in, uh, in CEO head football coach graduate school um, under Nick Saban. There's a whole process, and we could do a whole series on you know the Alabama the Alabama culture and and how Nick Saban just can lose dozens of coaches every other year and win seven national championships, you know, or actually six. Six um, at Alabama, one yeah, six, at LSU. Six at Alabama. Um, he, I don't think he was having a ton of turnover at, at LSU, but. Um, I mean, there's got to be something there. Like, there's some sort of organizational coaching uh, culture piece that if Sark picks up even a quarter of it, he will be successful for at least one or two seasons before it falls apart. And I, I think it's going to be tough. It's going to be a tough road because he doesn't have Devontae Smith. He doesn't have Jalen Waddell uh, walking around the uh, the facility there yeah, He's got Austin. B. John Robinson, and that's about it. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't like Texas has been garbaggio recruiting uh, compared to what their standards are and what they should be um, in a state like Texas since Mac Brown left. I mean, I, I, it's been it, it's been disappointing how they've recruited. I mean, they've recruited okay comparatively to other people. Like they've recruited, they've out recruited Baylor still, and they've out recruited Texas Tech, and but that shouldn't be your barometer. Texas A&M runs the state of Texas right now. And that should never be the case if you're the University of Texas. And will Sark change that? I don't know. Uh, will he bring an exciting offense? Yes. Can he handle being the CEO and, and Kyle Flood being the offensive coordinator? That's a little dicey. Does he, he doesn't have a defensive coordinator yet, but I think, he's, uh, I think he's circling around Pete Golden, which I think Nick Saban would actually thank him for. Uh <laughs> So it just depends on who he – it just depends on how his staff – how well his staff does and, and who he's hired around him. Yeah, I mean, it's still a mystery at how uh, USC hired him. His run at Washington – now, granted, he's Washington was awful before he got there, but um, – 34 and 29, 24 and 21 in conference. He went five and four every year, but one in the Pac 12. He just, he was mediocre at Washington, mediocre at USC. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm dubious because I don't know how much of that Nick Saban stuff actually rubs off on people. It just depends on how, it just depends on how much people soak up. You know, like uh, Jimbo probably soaked up a little bit. Kirby soaked up a little bit. Uh, Jeremy Pruitt didn't soak up anything. <laughs> well, I think we should end it there, guys. Um, it's time for us to. You don't want to ask us up. those other prompts about what we're curious about for the off season? Um, what we're looking forward to. I think we can. I think we could do that on our next show. Honestly, we've been going for uh, we've been going for over an hour here. It's a it's a work night for all of us. It's after eleven o'clock local time. I have to get. A, I have a dentist appointment at seven a.m. So in less than eight what? hours. Yup. 
Huck, um, Huck will probably be up at four o'clock. So yeah, so uh, he yeah. he can come to the dentist with me if he wants to. Um, I have a dentist appointment, an orthopedic make, appointment, and a physical therapy appointment tomorrow. So I am wow. living in my I'm living my uh, my best physical care life tomorrow. There you go. So um, I'm gonna uh, I'm making the executive decision to wrap it up here. We'll talk about that when we revisit you guys next week. We're gonna have a coaching carousel wrap up and an off season preview. I'm co I'm teaching uh, I'm co teaching math this semester. How about that? Mm. Bless your heart. B- bless your heart. Bless your heart. <laughs> um, so uh, on that note. Um, on behalf of our own offensive coordinator, the coach, Corey Burton, here in Nashville, Tennessee, and our intrepid blogger from Big Ten and Counting, Josh Cook, up there in Chicago, Illinois, this is the professor in the Music City saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Duval. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.